Assalamu alaikum, dear brothers and sisters, and welcome to another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope everyone is doing well. I wanted to give a little bit of insight into the following episodes that you'll be listening to. These episodes, of course, are dedicated to the Tafsir of Suratul Insan. And uh, this surah, we were able to discuss it over eight uh, episodes in total. So Suratul Insan, of course, is the 67th surah of the Quran. It consists of 31 verses and it is a Madani surah. We know it as Suratul Insan. There are other names that have been given to it as well. Suratul Dahr, sometimes it is referred to as and sometimes it's known as Surat Hal'ata because you know the first verse starts out with Hal'ata ala al-insan hayna min ad-dahr. Having said that, uh, a little bit about the main themes that we're going to come across. Of course, the tafsir that you'll be hearing uh, in these eight uh, episodes are based off of the tafsir of Ayatollah Makarim Shirazi, known as Tafsir Namuna, and also the uh, well-known tafsir of the great late Alama Tabatabai, known as Tafsirul Mizan. Uh, the main themes of the surah can pretty much be wrapped up in three. Um, there are three main sets of verses um, that you'll come across in this in these 31 verses that we're going to go through uh, together. So first we're going to start out with verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 are going to talk about the creation uh, of the human being, why the human being was created, where it all started from, and how the human being is created to be tested and based on his tests and how he responds to these tests, how he will be rewarded or he will be punished depending on the type of deeds that he commits. These three verses are really a very beautiful way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala putting or explaining to us in a nutshell really everything about our life that we really need to know. After that we're going to come move on to verses 4 through 22 and these are going to be descriptions of uh, the punishment of hellfire and the rewards in heaven. And what you'll find, which is very interesting in this surah in particular, is that the description of hellfire is very, very limited. One could say it's limited to pretty much one verse. And then after that, for you know, just about maybe around 20 verses, 18, 17, 18 verses, you will have uh, the descriptions of heaven and what it's like for someone to be in heaven and uh, you know the depth and the details that you'll find there. And after that, from verses 23 to 31, we will also delve into the, the prophet and the believers and how they are supposed to react and how they are supposed to respond when it comes to the disbelief of the disbelievers and what the prophet is supposed to do and how patient he's supposed to be in the face of those who knowingly want to disbelieve. So those are really the main themes of Suratul Insan. Of course, we could break it down into more detail, but generally speaking, there are three categories of verses that we're going to be uh, going through, inshallah. Having said that, I hope that inshallah it's a, it's a good experience and that hopefully what's mentioned is beneficial. Let's delve right into the tafsir. This surah is the 76th uh, surah of the Qur'an. So number, uh, forgive me, the 60, uh, yes, the 76th. So in other words, surah number 67 is Suratul Insan. As, as it relates to the name of the surah, you will find different names that are given to the surah. Uh, sometimes it's referred to surah as Suratul Insan. Sometimes it is referred to as Surat Hal'ata. 
and sometimes it is referred to as Surah Dahr, right? Hal Ata and Dahr being taken from the first verse of the Surah. And as we mentioned before many times, the names of the Surahs of the Quran, these are names that were chosen by the companions of the Prophet and they have become uh, famous and after a while people knew certain Surahs by certain names. And that's why certain Surahs have multiple names instead of having one particular uh, name. So the names of these Surahs, they are not revealed to the Prophet per se. These are, of course, you know, usually words that are found within the Surah and then they become the name of the Surah. That's why Surah Al-Insan, for example, has multiple names. You find this with Surah Al-Isra, for example. You also have it with Surah Al-Fatir, which is also known as Surah Al-Mu'min, and so on and so forth. As it relates to the Surah itself, we of course have a hadith about the, res the rewards of one who recites the verses of the Surah or recites Surah Al-Insan continuously. And I, as we've talked about this before, every surah that we want to begin, once we go into the ahadith that speak of the reward of reciting the surah, we always have to keep in mind that not all of these ahadith are ahadith that we can accept at face value. We've talked about this before, so I won't go into too much detail about it. But essentially what we mentioned before is that sometimes these ahadith that we have that explain the rewards of a surah, when you look at the chain of narrators of the hadith, many of them are weak ahadith. And then beyond that, even when the hadith is a strong one, sometimes the content of the hadith is something that we cannot necessarily take literally. And Ayatollah Makarim Shirazi has talked about this as well, that some of these rewards that are mentioned for reciting certain verses or surahs of the Quran, they are not meant in a literal sense. So for example, he says Surah An-Nur is one that if someone recites this surah continuously, he will never end up dealing with the sin or committing the sin of adultery. Whereas when you look at the content, you find that the content is forbidding the Muslim from doing so. Therefore, he says that when the hadith says that you will not commit this sin, what it's actually trying to tell you is that if you read the surah and you act upon the content in the surah, therefore, naturally, you will forbid yourself from committing this sin. Okay, so we're not taking the hadith in a literal sense that the moment I recite this surah, all of a sudden these effects will be there. Now when it comes to Surah Al-Insan, we have a hadith that I want to share with you. And the claims that are made in the hadith again show you that regardless of whether this hadith is a strong hadith in terms of the chain of narrators or it is a hadith that is questionable in terms of the chain of narrators, either way, we cannot take the hadith at face value. We cannot have a literal understanding of the hadith. This hadith is narrated from the sixth Imam, Imam Sadiq He says, I guarantee for whoever amongst my Shia who recite Surat Al-Insan in their Fajr prayer of Thursdays, that whenever he dies, that he will be completely immune and that he will enter into heaven without ever being questioned. This is a big claim, this is not a small claim. And therefore, maybe what the hadith is trying to say is that yes, if someone recites the surah and then his actions also live up to this standard, then he will, for example, enter into heaven without a questioning. And maybe by the questioning, the questioning not being there, maybe what is referring to is that the questioning is not a harsh questioning. It is not a severe questioning, right? It is a questioning that is very 
easy. Yeah? They, they don't go into all the details. They don't put too much pressure on this individual. But to say that, therefore, whoever recites this surah, for example, in their Fajr prayer on the Thursday, that Imam Sadiq said that then you are free to do what you want to do, we cannot have that understanding of the hadith for obvious reasons. Therefore, when it comes to these ahadith, some of them, the chain of narrators might have issues. Other ones, even if they don't have issues in terms of the chain of narrators, we have to look at the hadith and see whether we can accept the hadith from a literal perspective or no. We can have the hadith, but we have a different understanding, slightly different understanding from what the hadith is literally saying. And so this hadith would be one of those cases because essentially there is nothing in this world that someone can do once, twice, three times and therefore enter into the next world and never have to be held accountable. There is no, no such a thing like that. The only thing that can have that happen for you is if you act upon all the teachings in Islam. There is no salat that I can perform that all of a sudden it guarantees that I will put, put myself into heaven. There is no such a thing. There is no, for example, dhikr that I could say that then it opens my hands that once I say this dhikr, my heaven is guaranteed then I can go about my life and do whatever I want to do. There is no such a thing, brothers and sisters, within Islam, at least within the Shia school of thought, we don't believe in such a thing. Therefore, when we come across these hadith, it is very important to see what is the hadith trying to say and what type of an understanding can we have of this hadith. I say this because many times, brothers and sisters, you will find on social media, on WhatsApp, messages being forwarded back and forth, that yes, if you do this one amal, that this one amal will guarantee your future, that there is no way that you do this one amal unless that you will show up on the day of judgment and on the day of judgment the, the doors of heaven will be opened. There's no such a thing brothers and sisters. We are in this world, as long as we are alive, there is a chance for us to be tested. And as long as there's a chance for us to be tested, there is an opportunity for us to go astray. Therefore, if I want to guarantee me entering into heaven, my actions have to add up to that. I have to have the basics of my religion down at least. Otherwise, just doing a dhikr, just doing a salat here or there, if that's what would guarantee heaven for anybody, then we wouldn't even be spending time going through verses of the Qur'an and all this. We would just do that one dhikr, we would just do that one salat. Yes, if a dhikr salat has a reward, that yes, if someone does this dhikr, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant him a, ha a house, for example, in heaven. There's no problem with that. But when the claims become really big claims, that if you do this one salat, if you do this one dhikr, then so-and-so is guaranteed for you, this becomes a problem. And this is also what we do, by the way, with the love of the Ahlul Bayt. As if the love of the Ahlul Bayt is that the moment it enters into your heart, no matter what you do, now you are guaranteed heaven, you will never touch hellfire, whereas the Ahlul Bayt have never, they have never guaranteed such things for us, yes? They said, that in fact, if you don't have the basics of the religion down, our shafa'a will, will not be there for you. In other hadith, the Imam says that if one does not have wara', if he is not fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he does not reach or our wilaya does not benefit him. Our wilaya does not cover him. So there are conditions to these. So when we come to these hadith, we always want to keep that in mind, inshallah. Let's delve into. Suratul Insan, we said that it is the 67th uh, surah of the Qur'an and it contains 31 verses and this surah has said to been revealed in Medina. Okay, 
The first verse uh, of the surah is a very deep one. And I think tonight we'll only get to discuss this first verse, maybe a little bit of verse number two uh, as well. Verse number one says this, هَلْ أَتَى عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ حِينٌ مِّنَ الدَّهْرِ لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْئًا مَذْكُورًا Is it not true that a moment of time came upon the human being? That during that time and in that moment, the human being was so insignificant he was not worthy of mention. Sometimes when something is so insignificant, you don't even mention it, right? When you're doing the accounting of your books, for example, and you want to count how much profit you made, you would look at your bank account, for example, you look at receipts. If someone comes and gives you a coin, someone gives, gives you a quarter, for example, you're not going to count that quarter in your profits, you know? 25 cents, whether you count it, don't count, it doesn't even matter. That's how insignificant it is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, of course in the form of a question, but it's not really a question. He's saying, has a moment not come upon the human being that at that time, the human being was something that is not even worthy of mention. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explaining to us that He has a deep relationship with us. Our relationship with Him has started at a very, very early stage. Normally when we think about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we would think, for example, at the time of bulugh. Because at the time of bulugh is the time that roughly one could say, you start to realize the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you start to pray, you start to fast, you start to communicate with Him. And so in our minds, our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts from the time of bulugh. But then when you look before bulugh, you find that we also have a relationship with Him, even though it's not so much of a mutual relationship, He is still taking care of you. He is still attending to your needs, yes? He is still giving you the nutritions that you need. He is still giving you the food, the water that you need to stay alive. During our childhood, our infancy, you'll see this, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is protecting this child so that this child can grow and turn into a child that is now baligh and from there into an adult. So our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't even start not only at bulugh, someone might say maybe childhood, infancy, but even then it doesn't start. It starts before that. Why? Because we have, of course, the Qur'an has talked about this, about how even when the human being is inside of the womb of the mother, before it comes out into this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is protecting it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is providing what this child needs, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is attending to the needs of this child. Then you continue to move back and then slowly you start to see how much of a deep relationship you and I have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though technically it may not seem like that. Yes, you'll, you'll realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that friend who's been around for so long but we just don't realize it because we only start to acknowledge this relationship once you hit bulugh. Once you hit bulugh, they tell you you have to pray Right? They tell you you have to fast and then you start to think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and questions come to your mind and you acknowledge His presence. But that's not when He starts His relationship with us. That's when we start our relationship with Him. That's when the relationship becomes a mutual one. Otherwise before that He is attending to you all the way till you get there. So not only does it not start at bulugh, if you go back to infancy, even that's not when it starts. Then you might go back a step further. You might say, well maybe in the womb, that makes sense. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is protecting you in the womb. 
But even then is not when the relationship starts. Because before you were in the womb, you were in the loins of your great-grandfathers. So then you move back a step, right? Then you go to the fact that you were already there as the generations were passing down. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already had you in mind. This is why we read in Ziyaratul Waritha, when we refer to Imam Al-Husayn, we say, Ashhadu annaka kunta nuran fil aslab al-shamikha wal arham al-mutahara. That you were being passed down through pure wombs and even beyond that, through lofty loins. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is keeping you in, and I in mind from that time when we're not even born. So you might say, well, let's go all the way back to the point where I am the smallest, uh, uh, you know, uh, speck of matter that I can be. That's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created me, right? That's when His relationship started with me. And then you will find that Islam, and in particular the school of thought within of the Ahlul Bayt, they will take you a step back even. And you will realize that your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes even beyond that. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His creation does not start from when you are created in the form of a nutfa. Although the verse is going to talk about that. Verse 2 is going to talk about that. Our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts before we even come into this world. And this is a different world that our scholars sometimes refer to as alamul dharr. Sometimes they refer to it as alamul arwah. Yes, the world of souls. What is this alamul arwah? We don't know much about it. All we know is that this is a previous world in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has communicated certain things to us. Where we don't have a body yet, but our souls already exist. So now we're going all the way back, right? And in this alamul arwah, in this world that existed before this material world, before we came into this material world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the verses of the Qur'an, that there was a moment where I communicated to the human beings, all of the human beings, and I asked them, am I your Lord? And they all admitted to this. They all accepted that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is their Lord. You, we are now going to some deeper concepts now, right? In this alamul arwah, this is mentioned in verse 172 from Surah Al-A'raf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذْ أَخَذَ رَبُّكَ مِنْ بَنِي آدَمِ and when that moment came where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He took the children of Adam, all of the generations, all of the human beings that were going to be born, min dhuhurihim dhurriyatahum. He took His children from their, their backs, their loins, right? All the children that were going to be born. وَأَشْهَدَهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ And He showed themselves to themselves. In other words, He showed them who they are, right? He showed them their essence, their nature. They got a chance to look at themselves. They got a chance to observe their own existence. And he asked them, He said, am I not your nurturer? And because of how weak they saw themselves and the fact that they knew that they were not their own creator and that they had someone else who created them, they all continued and they all responded, They said, yes. They said, yes, we all bear witness. You are our Lord. You are our nurturer. And then the Quran continues. It says, we did this so that on the day of judgment, you wouldn't show up and you wouldn't say that you had no idea that you had a creator. Which 
Uh, world is this taking place in? This is taking place in a previous world, right? A world where we may not even remember this issue in particular, this idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking this promise from us, that I am your creator, I am your nurturer, and it says clearly that we all responded. So the mufassireen and the scholars say that this world really, and this communication that we were having with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world, is not in the form of a literal communication. This is that sense of fitrah that we have inside of us. That deep, in, deeply embedded belief that we have inside of us. That there is a creator for this world. That there is someone who created me. And this is the concept of fitrah or one of the things that you find in our fitrah that Islam speaks about quite a bit. That it's covered and it's hidden and it only comes out usually in really difficult situations. That's why the verses of the Quran and the hadith of Imam al-Sadiq says that these people who keep denying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when they're on a ship and this ship is in the middle of an ocean and then the ocean starts to have a storm and they have no one else to turn to, that's where their fitrah will start to show itself. Then all of a sudden in these difficult moments, they'll raise their hands. The same one who before was denying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he was saying these are all myths. Now all of a sudden he will raise his hands and he will ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. This fitrah, Allama Tabatabai and other scholars also have said that this fitrah, this inner belief that we have in the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists, that there is a greater creator out there, there is a greater power out there. This belief, they say this is what these verses of the Quran are talking about. That this communication led to this belief that is deeply embedded inside of us. And that's why the Quran is holding us accountable to it. That you as a human being, deeply embedded within you, there is a belief that you have a creator and this came from this interaction that you had with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts way before what we would assume. We assume once you hit their age of 15 or 9, yes, for boys and girls, that's when our relationship starts. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a relationship with us from very, very early on, from this world that we don't truly understand what it's like. All we understand is that this alamul arwah, this world of souls as we call it, is something that is very different from this world. And in that world you also find that there are individuals who are very high and lofty in their response to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are those who, though they respond to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they do so with a delay. Yes, there are some who respond to him quickly. There are some who respond to him with a delay. And amongst those who responded faster than anyone else, based on the hadith that I will mention, inshallah, was the Prophet And because of that, this world is a reflection of that world. The same way he responded quickly and first amongst all of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to acknowledge the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the previous world, in that test, similarly in, this, in the test of these worlds, or this world, he will be the first and the foremost. And these are deep kind of concepts, they might be concepts that we're not very familiar with. This is just to show that the same way we have this material world here, there is another world, known as Alam al-Arwah, where these rankings have already taken place. Right? The prophets and the human beings, they showed who they are in that world. That's why when they come to this world, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can choose who's a normal person, who is a prophet. It's not haphazard. 
It is based on how, how they responded to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this previous world, right? That's why there is a hadith from the Prophet Beautiful hadith. The Prophet says, Kuntu nabiyan. I was a prophet. I was a prophet when Adam was not even created yet. He was in between a soul and a body, meaning that the soul and the body had not united for Adam yet, and I was a prophet. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that before Adam was brought into this world that the prophet was already a messenger. No, we know that the messenger, the prophet, he was the last messenger. That means in the previous world, I am a prophet. Why? Because I am the first one who responded to the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the previous world. These are deeper concepts, we want to move on from it. But the important point to keep in mind is that our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is a very deep one, it is a very long one. He's that friend who's been around for so long, he's that friend who's been watching after you, attending to you, even though for most of your life you didn't even know that this was happening. And this is mentioned in Dua Arafah of Imam al Hussein. He very beautifully mentions this. If you remember, because we covered it not very long ago, you find in Dua Arafah of Imam al Hussein, he starts talking about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started to bless him before he even knew who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was. Right? So let me quote this line from Dua Arafah. He says, you started blessing me before I could be, I was anything that was worthy of mention. You started blessing me from there. And then you created me from dirt. And then you placed me in the different loins, right? In the generations. And then he continues, he said, I went from one loin to one womb from that womb to another loin, and so on and so forth. And throughout this time, you were watching me. Throughout this time, you were waiting for the right time for me to be born. Then when I was born, then you had all of these, uh, these kind mothers of mine. They started to protect me, right? They started to attend to my needs. All of this was happening when I didn't even know who I was. I didn't even know what's happening, right? When a child is born, he doesn't know what's happening. So he says, you were taking care of my needs at that point. And then he continues to explain how I got older. Then all of a sudden my mouth, I started to have the ability to speak until later on I reached the point where I could understand things and you started to give me wisdom, meaning that now I'm, I'm reaching a level of maturity. Then at that point, you introduced yourself to me. Right, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing this whole process. He starts from a point that is not even in this world. It's outside of this world. He continues until a point. And of course, we only acknowledge it when we're the age of 10, 12, you know, 13, 15. Now we understand where we are, who we are. Oh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a thing. He's a power. He's an entity. Whereas He has had a relationship with us for years and years. Okay. Now what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trying to achieve with this verse? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to get the human being to go back and to remember where he came from, the human being has to remember that he came from a point لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْئًا مَذْكُورًا that he was not even worthy of mention and now he's turned into this human being that he's turned into. What is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trying to achieve by mentioning this verse? This is a very important uh, verse, very important point 
one that has a akhlaqi effect on us as well. The reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking the human being back all the way to the beginning, He is reminding the human being where He came from. The reason why He is doing this is because there is a number of effects that come out of the idea of me remembering where I came from. As we normally say, there are a lot of effects for me remembering my humble beginnings, right? Even in our day-to-day lives you will find when someone reaches a high level of success, becomes extremely successful in their life, you know, a celebrity, a politician, an athlete maybe, what do they do? They will go back and they will remind themselves where they came from, right? Because when they remember where they came from, there are a number of akhlaqi effects that come with this. And amongst these is a sign of humility. This is the first one. That when I remember where I came from, I can no longer puff up my chest. I can no longer speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like I am somebody. Why? Because lam akun shay'an madhkura. I was never worthy of, sign- of mention even. And if I did become something, He made me something. So if I go back to where I came from and I remind myself of where I came from, I can never allow arrogance to get inside of me. I will always be humble. I will always show humility. And bear in mind, this humility is not the fake humility that you and I show. Normally when we show humility, deep down what we're thinking is that I'm special. I'm really, I'm very important. But because socially it's acceptable to be humble, well, let me be humble, right? It's because socially it's an etiquette to be humble in the presence of others, to say please, to say thank you. Well, let me do that because socially that's what's acceptable, right? In Islam, this is not the type of humility that we are looking for. In Islam, the type of humility that we are looking for is the type that comes from the fact of you being very factual about where you came from. Who are you? Where did I come from? I didn't come even from dirt. I came from a nutfa, right? And I came from something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says was not even worthy of mention. That's where I came from. So if the human being remembers this, then later on when the human being grows up, becomes an adult, now he has to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will not start to now argue with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will not start to debate him. He will not start to challenge him. This is what you find in Surah Yasin, verse number 77. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in my words is complaining for, right? He's complaining about this. He's saying this human being of ours, we created him not not too long ago. And when we created him, he was not even worthy of mention. He was something that was so insignificant when we created him. Yes? But now all of a sudden, from the time you created him, now until the time he's become an adult, very short period of time. In the short period of time, all of a sudden, now he is arguing with us. Now he has his own opinions. Now he has, he's debating us. Now we tell him that, for example, he has to pray five times a day. Now he thinks he knows something. Now he's coming back to us and he's saying, well, I don't think I have to pray five times a day, right? <laughs> now we tell him you have to fast 30 days. He says, well, I'm, you know, I don't think I have to do that. You know, sometimes you'll see this with parents, right? Parents, when they raise a child, because they remember very clearly where that child came from, when the child turns into an adult, and then this adult starts to debate with them, starts to challenge them, yes, starts to question everything, what do the parents think to themselves? They say, this guy was a child two days ago. 
right? We used to take care of his needs two days ago. Now all of a sudden he's grown up a little bit, now he thinks he knows everything. That's what the Quran says, right? أَوَلَمْ يَرَى الْإِنسَانُ أَنَّا خَلَقْنَاهُ مِن نُطْفَةٍ Does the human being not remember that we created him from a nutfa? And then all of a sudden, All of a sudden he's arguing with us. Don't you remember where you came from? You were nothing. We made you something. And yet now, you're debating us and you're challenging us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in order to prevent this arrogance in the human being, this fake sense of knowledge, we have a fake sense of knowledge, we think we know a lot, we don't know a lot. In order to challenge this fake sense of knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of our humble beginnings. This is one place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this. Then there are other purposes that come out of this as well. Another situation where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds you and I of our humble beginnings is when things become very difficult. When things become very difficult in our lives, then you will find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the verses of the Quran, He will remind the Muslimin of their humble beginnings. He will tell them, listen, if things are difficult right now, remember those times where your numbers were much less than they are now. We know that the Prophet, when he started out, numbers were very, very low. Then of course, as he was going through the years of Mecca, he never really gained that power. It was only until after he moved to Medina, where he established a community and then the Muslims started to, you know, the numbers started to go up. And then we know that the numbers really went up when he took over Mecca, he conquered Mecca. And the Quran says, يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجَ People are joining Islam in masses. But in Medina, when things become difficult and the Prophet has not taken over Mecca yet, right? He did that in the eighth year after Hijrah. So for eight years, he's living in Medina. Out of the 10 years that he lived in Medina, eight years of those years, he is still living in Medina and still there is the threat of Quraysh coming and just wiping them out. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? He reminds them of their humble beginnings. He says, yes, the threat is there. Quraysh might do that. But remember the time before you were in Medina, your situation was much worse than what you're in right now. And of course, it's not addressed towards the Prophet because the Prophet his perspective of course is different. The Prophet has a high lofty status that I can say we can't even, we can barely even understand. But when it comes to the Muslimin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Remember those days where you were so little, and the Mushrikeen, they could have wiped you out, they could have got rid of you. You were afraid that the mushrikeen could just remove you. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had your back. But He's mentioning this to show them that if things are difficult now, remember the times where they were 10 times more difficult. Right? And I tell you, brothers and sisters, as we're going through this quarantine, now that we hear news about maybe a vaccine coming out or the numbers dropping a little bit, this is also something to remind ourselves of. That yes, things are still difficult, but compare this to the early months of the quarantine where we were absolutely lost, where we didn't even know what the future was going to look like. At least now, we're a little bit more accustomed to it, yes? It's a little bit easier to maneuver. Then the third situation you find, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds the human being of his humble beginnings is when the human being starts to treat the other human being in a bad way. And this you find in Surah Al-Hujurat. Surah Al-Hujurat, verse number 12. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu, ijtanibu kathiran min al-dhan, inna ba'da al-dhanni ithm. When it comes to your brothers and sisters, think highly of them, think good of them, right? Because sometimes when you have thoughts about them, when you make accusations, sometimes these are haram. Inna ba'da al-dhanni ithm. And then he continues, Wala tajassasu, don't spy into their lives, try to figure out their flaws. وَلَا يَغْتَبْ بَعْدُكُمْ بَعْضَ أَيُحِبُّ أَحَدُكُمْ أَنْ يَأْكُلَ لَحْمَ أَخِيهِ مَيْتًا فَكَرِهْتُمُ Do you want to be amongst those who eats the flesh of his brother? Of course not. Okay. Now in order to explain why he is to respect his brother or sister, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once again, he takes you back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you guys all come into this world? In the next verse, verse 13, he says this, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ إِنَّا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ مِنْ ذَكَرٍ وَأُنْثَى You guys were all created from the same man and woman. There was one man, there was one woman. You all were created from this one man or woman. You were all created from the same couple. وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ قَبَائِلَ وَشُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلَ لِتَعَارَفُ Then we made you into different groups and into different tribes. But that was later. Where did you start out from? You started out from being the children of Adam and Hawa. So why is it now that you know time has progressed, now all of a sudden you're part of this group, part of this tribe, you're part of this ethnicity. Now all of a sudden you sit there and you say, well, no, I'm better than them, yes? And you have all these biases and we also see this racism that we find around us. Go back to the, to the beginning. How was the beginning working? At the beginning you were dirt and you came into this world because you had the same mother and father. So you find in Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala constantly is pointing us to our humble beginnings so that we remember where we came from. Because if we do that, then we won't get lost in life. And this is something, as I bring the talk to an end, inshallah, this is something that we also have to remember, brothers and sisters, that when we progress in our life, we are to always remind ourselves of our humble beginnings. When you look at your professional life, for example, you have had progress, alhamdulillah. Now that you have had progress, when one thing goes wrong, instead of losing all of your hope, instead of all of a sudden becoming ungrateful, I have to remind myself of the humble beginnings that I had. Remind yourself of that time where you were struggling to get your first job. Now alhamdulillah, you have your job, your boss is giving you some trouble. But there were humble beginnings that you had where you couldn't even get a job. There were humble beginnings you had where you didn't even know how you would be able to provide for your family if you were to get married, for example. Right? We all have these humble beginnings. So in this aspect of my professional life, I have to remember this. In my personal life, I have to remember this as well, where I came from. As long as I can keep that as a reminder in my mind, then that is going to solve a lot of the problems that the human being is going to have. So you find in Surah Al-Insan, this surah that we'll talk about Qiyamah mainly, it starts, however, by reminding the human being of where the human being came from and the humble beginnings of the human being. Because once the human being acknowledges that, the human being will never become arrogant. The human being will never get lost. And inshallah, as we continue with the verses, uh, the next session that we have next Friday, we'll move on to verse number two. We created the human being from a nutfa that is mixed. What is it mixed of? Different mufassirin have different opinions about this. Amshajin nabtali, And we started to test him. Is testing the final goal of our creation? 
were we created to be tested, that is not the correct response. That's not the final goal of our creation. That is what we tell our children many times. That's what our children are taught many times in our Sunday schools. But that is not the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us fundamentally. There is a different reason and understanding what the goal of our creation is, brothers and sisters, it brings about a paradigm shift. It changes the way that we look at the religion altogether. So inshallah that we will leave for uh, next week inshallah. Thank you dear brothers and sisters for tuning into another episode of the Tafsir Treasures podcast. I hope that this episode was another step for all of us to coming closer to having a deeper understanding of the Quran and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you would like to stay updated on the courses, the presentations, or the other podcasts that Mizan Institute is offering, you can always follow us on the major social media platforms on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can always refer to Mizan Institute's website, which is mizaninstitute.org. Finally, if there is any feedback, feel free to leave a review for the podcast or you can always message us directly on any of these platforms so that we can benefit from your feedback for future projects, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.